Welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, your resource for science-based training and nutrition, data-driven coaching, and education-focused content. Before we get into this podcast, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and learn with me so that you can apply what you are about to learn, take my strategies, use these tools, and finally have some serious methods to see sustainable success with your physique, your mind, and your life. This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. All right, Q&A time. I feel like it's been... I don't feel like it's been. It has been weeks since I've done a Q&A. Um, today, this week, marks the week back to three episodes a week. I'm super happy about it. We are officially in the facility. It's just taken some time. I am sorry, but the content is back to normal schedule. In fact, it's going to be at a higher schedule. Um, it's going to be getting crazy here soon. More and more content, more and more videos. So if you have special requests, please hit me up and let me know what you guys want to learn, what you guys want to see, how you guys want to absorb content because we are going to write more, talk more, and film more. We're just going to do more content now that I have this place to do it in. I'm so hyped up about it. Can't wait to deliver more value for you guys. But today is a Q&A and we are going to go down the rabbit hole. I'm just going to be completely honest with you guys. Today's questions, um, shout out to the people that wrote me uh, some questions. They filled out the form, which by the way, there's a form in the show notes you can fill out and you can ask me any question you want. Um, it is designed for this podcast. Uh, there is some questions that are, I have a full page. One, <laughs> one question is literally a full page talking about what they've done. So I'm going to try to paraphrase some of these so you guys don't have to listen to the whole background, but some of them are, are uh, I, I shortened them up a bit. So it's just about a paragraph. Nonetheless, today's podcast, I'm actually choosing very specific questions. So they're, they're less of the rapid fire style. So listen to this podcast. You were going to get a ton of practical coaching information. I'm probably going to get through, I'm going to get through as many of these as I can. I doubt I'm going to get through all of them because there's about eight here that are very, very long and they're very in depth. So my goal today is to center everything around training and nutrition, but be very specific to the individual. So I want you guys to see how my mind works when it is processing how I coach and how I would deliver specific training and nutrition prescriptions to somebody. So this is going to be a good one. This is the first podcast Q&A coming back into it. Um, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy a couple quick announcements or shout outs or things to mention before we jump into this podcast. The first one being guys, something very, very big is coming soon. I am Joyce just going to start uh, kind of poking the bear and teasing <laughs> a little bit, but I just want you guys to know something big is happening with Boom Boom Performance, uh, a very, very big thing that is going to shock a lot of people. Um, it's going to be a very good thing and it's a very positive thing and it's going to create, hmm, how do I say this? I believe it's going to create more of an impact and it's going to create more of a culture within what we do and I am really really excited about it. The other thing is that we will be releasing shirts very soon. Every shirt you buy is going to contribute uh, a lot of meals to children in need. So we have partnered with the Children's Hunger Fund and you will be able to donate with us. We donate 2,000 meals per month right now already. Uh, but now you guys will be able to purchase our shirts for the first time. We've never released them to public. We usually just send them to clients. Uh, but now you are going to be able to purchase them and all the proceeds, all the profits are going to go straight 
straight to the charity to help the fund, um, the Children's Hunger Fund. So I'm super excited about that. Um, I'm just going to say this right now because we're in the works of getting everything worked out. It might even be available. I'm recording this over a week in advance. So if it is available, there will be a link in the show notes. If it is not, just stay tuned. I will mention when it is and you guys will hear more about it because I'm really going to push this because it's an important fund to me and it's an important charity for me to be a part of. And I've, I've been really blessed to be a part of this and talk to some of the people running um, the higher ends of the organization. So I really want to make a big contribution every single month um, because the more you, the more you guys help me essentially, the more people I can get to join this the more you guys are joining our tribe, you are helping us with this this big, this thing that's so much bigger than us. And it is really, it's helping kids around the world. I mean, in poverty here in the United States, uh, in third world countries. Um, I mean, they even help with children trafficking vitamins, minerals, and malnutrition deficiencies and things like that. So I'm really, really passionate about this. I'm really excited about this. Um, and I want you to be a part of it. So if there is an opportunity for you to do it already, the link will be in the show notes. If there is not yet, just stay tuned. We are almost done with the pages and it will be released very soon for you to contribute with us. Now, without any further ado, uh, let's get on to this Q&A. Remember, if you want to help me grow this show and share it with other people so they can learn from me as well, please take a screenshot, post it on your story, tag me at Cody Boom Boom. I want to share it online. I want to know who's listening. I want to thank you for listening. Now, without any further ado, no more ranting. I promise. Let's get on to the Q&A. Numero uno. Fit underscore N underscore clean underscore mama. Fit and clean mama. I'm pretty light. She's five foot and 115 pounds and have my protein set at 128 grams per day. Might as well make it 130. I usually split. I always think it's funny. I, I, people probably laugh when they hear me because I've said this a million times. Um, I, I'm a I'm a big I'm I'm a big fan of rounding. <laughs> I'm a huge estimation guy. So I would probably round that up to 130. Um, I just want. I, the reason I say this is because I think, and this this might just me be me personally or some of the people I've worked with, but I think the more OCD you get about any one specific measurement, the more likely you are going to be creating an OCD-like relationship with food. Um, now, there are times where you should be very OCD. Now, for example, if I'm getting ready for a photo shoot and my meal calls for 300 grams of sweet potato raw, I am going to get as close as possible, and I probably will be within five grams of that. So if it's 305, I'll do it. If it's 295, I'll do it. But if it's 310, I'll probably cut off a little piece. And that's pretty ridiculous, but if I'm getting ready for a photo shoot, that's how it's got to be. Now, when we look at macros, it's the same thing. Two things here to remember. Number one, if you're not getting ready for a specific deadline, the difference between 130 and 128 is so irrelevant that you sh you're just wasting your time trying to get it to that exact number. Just be within 5 to 10 grams of protein. It's it's really not the end of the day. The other thing to remember too is that a chicken breast that is 26 grams of protein in my fitness pal probably isn't exactly 26 grams of protein in my fitness pal or in real life, right? Like four ounces of chicken is typically two about two grams fat, 26 grams protein. Every chicken was different. Every chicken had different nutrition. Every chicken had different muscle mass. Uh, it's it's going. Every chicken had different hydration status. So there's going to be different amounts of water. So everything really is just a, a estimation. It now macros are absolutely the closest possible estimation that you can potentially get, which is why it's the most accurate way to change your physique. If you really want to transform your body, the best route to go is tracking macros and dialing those into an individualized manner so you can progress to the goal. Uh, but to, to get, to be splitting hairs between 128 and 130 is just, it really can just mess with your mind. So I would just encourage you to do that. Now, um, we're going to get more into the weeds with this though. You said, I usually split my meals into four throughout the day, aiming for about 32 grams of protein per meal. I have noticed that my digestion has been off 
getting gassy and bloated after meals. I am pretty good about eliminating foods that I am intolerant to like dairy, gluten, and soy. So I don't believe that's the issue. It seems that the meals where I'm closer to 20 grams seem to be better digestion wise. So my question is this, with my daily intake of protein, will I be diminishing protein synthesis by breaking my meals up into six smaller meals instead of four? That would make each meal about 21 grams. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thank you again for all that you do to share the knowledge with us. No problem. My pleasure. Um, all right. So no, don't even worry about it. The reality is, is I believe that the leucine, uh, the triggered leucine response that creates muscle protein synthesis, leucine is the main amino acid we're looking for. Um, that's going to contribute the biggest um, uh, effect to muscle protein synthesis in general. Um, and that's going to occur at 20 grams. So 20 grams, it starts kind of triggering that muscle protein synthetic response and uh, 25, it gets a little bit better, 30, a little bit better, so on and so forth. And I think it caps out between 40 and 50. And this is also relative to the size of the individual. So you're 115 pounds. The trigger you get from 20 grams might be the same as a 215 pound person gets from 45 grams, for example. Um, we don't know that for sure, but what we do know is that at 20 grams of highly bioavailable protein, so if you're getting your protein from good sources like you said you don't eat dairy, but let's say meat then, meat or whey protein or whatever it may be. Um, whey is dairy too, so you, you probably don't eat that. But the point being is if you're getting 20 grams of protein from meat or an animal source, you're probably getting enough leucine and you're going to be totally fine. And at the end of the day, if your, your daily protein intake is being met, that's truly what matters because that's the total amount of amino acids that are flowing through your body and that's what's creating the most consistent muscle protein synthesis response. Um, now, could we say that 30 grams per meal might be a little bit more optimal? Absolutely. But if you're bloated and gassy, that's a sign that there's some digestive stress going on. And if there's any type of digestive stress, we have to assume that your body's not tolerating, absorbing, or digesting things properly. If we're not tolerating things properly, are we truly absorbing all the nu nutrients in there? Probably not. So if you're optimizing, quote unquote, muscle protein synthesis by getting more protein per meal, but it's throwing off your gut, that might actually slow down the rate of digestion. And that could potentially slow down the rate of absorption for these foods. So I would say, trust your gut literally and go with the 20 grams uh, per meal, 21 grams per meal. And I think you'll be totally fine. If you could get 25, probably would be a little bit better for muscle protein synthesis. But again, this is completely splitting hairs. And I don't think it'll make a big enough difference to where you would actually notice. Michelle Mason. So this is actually a client of mine and I told her I was going to put this in the podcast because it's a really good question. Uh, she would love to hear me dive into my thought process on flipping the conjugate model, prioritizing deadlift as a max effort rather than a squat. She loves it. Did you address this in another podcast? It certainly makes it more fun for me and I'm excited to see where it takes this uh, both lifts. So she's in the elite. Uh, she's one of my nutrition clients who's also in the elite. And inside the elite, we have um, multiple programs, but specifically perform and build and perform and burn use a conjugate method approach to the compound lifts. We have two max effort days and we have two dynamic days. Um, these programs are honestly probably the most, in my opinion, the most well-designed uh, alternatives of conjugate method there is when it comes to changing your aesthetic physique. I really, really like the approach I used. And the approach I use is there's two max effort days every single week. So every week we're maxing out. Um, we're not maxing out because we use a 5-3-1 approach. So we're doing sub-maximal effort, but we have a max effort day where we are pushing strength, lower reps, 
heavy as possible, high percentages, right? And then we have a dynamic day. The dynamic day fluctuates with a weekly undulated periodization. And what that means is that each week we are alternating the intensity. So a daily undulated periodization would be me squatting twice a week, once heavy, once light, right? High reps, low reps. Um, a weekly undulated is every other week. So week one on the dynamic day, we are doing speed box squats, for example. Week two, we are doing hypertrophy front squats. Higher reps, more volume, lighter weights. Uh, the week, next week, a back to a heavy speed squat. So it's still light for the rep count we're doing, which is about two to three, but we're moving the weight fast. Um, so we're doing speed, hypertrophy, speed, hypertrophy, and we keep the max effort every week. Really, really love this. So the way I tweak this from a, a normal conjugate method is that a normal conjugate method has two max effort days, two, two dynamic days. Those dynamic days are pretty much always speed work. So basically you would do a heavy squat and then a heavy bench. And then on your dynamic days, you would do like a speed deadlift or a speed squat or a speed rack pull, um, some kind of accessory work, usually power. So low rep, not max effort, but very fast, explosive, a speed deadlift against bands, for example. Um, and then you could do a speed bench or uh, a push jerk or overhead press, stuff like that. So it's accessory work, but it's usually working in the realms of power, right? Power and speed, which Granted, these are probably the two most influential factors for power lifters, and the conjugate method is built for power lifters. Um, and then after the speed work, you're typically doing some hypertrophy work. So you'll do some triceps, some, some high rep bench, dumbbell bench work, some RDLs, some lunges, stuff like that that's more hypertrophy focused as the accessory work after you've done the speed compound lift on the dynamic day. So with again, with conjugate method, we have a max effort and a dynamic effort. The dynamic is centered around speed. The max effort is centered around strength. And this is your upper lower split. And you do this consistently. And this is going to produce maximal strength. Now, if we look at somebody who is chasing maximal strength versus maximal aesthetics, it's two completely different realms. So if we want to keep performing performance and functionality at a high priority while chasing aesthetics, we have to flip this model around a little bit for a couple reasons. Number one thing I changed that she is asking is the deadlift. Normally it's a squat. So you're maxing out on the squat, which is the quote unquote king of exercises, right? The squat is like the best exercise to everybody. The reason I changed this is simple. Number one, there's something really fun about pulling some heavy shit off the floor. And I don't just say that because I personally enjoy it more, but because the majority of the people I've worked with, which is thousands of people I've talked to and, and directly worked with personally now, a lot of people just really enjoy deadlifting. So I made the deadlift the, the max effort lift instead of the squat because it's more fun for most people. The other reason is because I believe it's a more well-rounded lift. Not that the squat isn't more functional because... I believe the squat is a more functional movement pattern um, as far as what your body and your mechanics should be able to do. However, I also believe that true function, if we look at real life application, you're more likely to pick something off the floor than squat something down. But I guess you could you could say that you're going to squat down to pick up something, you, or you should, but most people don't. Um, so is it what I, I guess this is a, a battle of between what should be functional because technically to lift things off the floor you should squat down, grab it, and pick it up, uh, versus what is actually functional because most of us just bend over and grab shit. Uh, but even besides that. I believe the deadlift is going to incorporate more muscle groups uh, as a whole, more of your core, more of your back, more of the posterior chain, things that are, in my opinion, a little bit more important. Um, but again, this is splitting hairs. I'm not saying that a deadlift is better than the squat in general. Um, I'm just saying 
I tend to lean towards a deadlift over a squat in most cases. I also think more people have fun. And then the third reason is because I believe it's, you're less likely to get injured uh, by doing a deadlift or you're less likely to fear getting injured. And I think that's the bigger one. A lot of people are afraid to put a heavy bar on their back and squat down. Either they don't have the mobility, they don't have a spotter, or they've never truly squatted heavy and they don't know how to uh, move away. They don't know how to fail a squat properly. Deadlifts are really easy to fail. You start lifting and you can't lift anymore, let go. Done. If you're doing a squat and you get stuck in the bottom, it's kind of scary. And a lot of people don't know how to successfully fail or bounce out of a squat. Um, so that being said, because of fun, because of injury, because of function, um, and because of what people fear, I tend to pick the deadlift over the squat just because of that. Um, then... I like to use the squat for speed and hypertrophy work because it's easier to put less weight on the bar and move fast with a squat. So now we're still hitting the squat every single week because it's a very important functional movement pattern, but we're not doing it so heavy that people are fearful of putting too much weight on their back. And then when we do hypertrophy for high volume, we're doing a front squat. So again, I'm, I'm limiting the danger and I'm limiting the risk or the fear of risk that people have because with a front squat, again, it's really easy to bail. You just drop the bar. It's in front of you. Um, so that being said, that's that's typically why. It's not because I think that the conjugate method would be better with a deadlift as a max effort to the squat. It's simply because I know a lot of people need to work on their posterior chain. I believe that it is uh, a more full body lift. And I think that it's easier for people to get uh, behind the idea of lifting a heavy deadlift versus a heavy squat, especially when they're by themselves or following an online coaching program. Now, the reason I did the weekly undulated periodization instead of every week having speed work was a couple reasons. Number one, I think it kind of gives you a, a good shift in intensities. So every other week you're, you're hitting different energy systems. You're using ATP and energy systems in a different way. And then also we're getting in hypertrophy work. If there's one thing that's wrong with some powerlifting programs for aesthetics, it's just that. It's just that there's not enough hypertrophy work. So it's not that there's anything wrong with powerlifting programs, but it's because the powerlifting program is built for a powerlifter who is trying to get maximally strong and doesn't mind getting bigger, let's say, but not necessarily trying to build muscle. But if your goal is fat loss and or muscle growth and maintenance, we need to incorporate more hypertrophy work. So what I've done to the conjugate method is I've kept the max effort idea and then I uh, did a weekly undulated model for the dynamic effort and I split that with repetition effort, which would be more hypertrophy focused. And this gives you more variation because now your accessory work changes, your speed work changes, your compound lift changes every single week. And it makes it more fun and exciting for people. Um, so that's kind of my thought process on the conjugate method and why I flip it the way I do when I'm working with somebody who wants to transform their body. Buffy. First off, I am blown away by how much quality science-backed information you give away for free. Thank you. You are truly serving the world by doing so. You inspire me. I am a 38-year-old, 5'9", 142-pound female who lived in indecision purgatory for the past year. Whoa. Using a visual estimation, I am probably around 22 to 23% body fat and have been lifting regularly but not in a terribly structured fashion for two and a half years. My former trainer labeled me the epitome of skinny fat. First of all, you never talk to a client like that. I'm not, I'm not going to go into a tangent, but... <laughs> I hope he didn't call you that. Um, anyway, I know I need lean gaining, a lean gaining phase eventually, but I am obsessed with the extra bit of fat, especially in my midsection and upper back, and I am terrified to try anything but losing the last 5 to 10 pounds. Yet, I can't seem to lose that last 5 to 10 pounds because of the discipline required and my constant indecision about lean gaining versus fat loss. The result of my waffling has been solid through accidental maintenance for the past year. 
Any advice? I'm sure I'm not the only female out there with this quandary. Thanks again for the veritable treasure trove wow, of knowledge that is the Boom Boom Forms podcast. I love this lady. Buffy, you are one of my favorite people. Um, so here, here's what I think about this entire concept. The first thing I'm going to say is that you need to sign up and commit to something, whether you're coaching with my team or not. Like I'm just saying in general for a year. And you need to follow everything that that coach tells you to do and don't – I shouldn't say don't ask questions. <laughs> you should ask questions. You should ask a lot of questions so you can learn. Um, and don't refute it, <laughs> I guess I could say. The reason for this is simple. I wrote a newsletter the other day. I actually posted it on Instagram too. And I talked about 1% for your 99%. The average individual lives to 79 years old. Now, I'm going to – beg to differ with that because I think, unfortunately, uh, with the state of disease and obesity, that lowers our average quite a bit. But let's just say eight, 80 years. Let's say 80 years is the average lifespan of a human. Well, that means that if you spend one year, one year, you are just over 1%, right? Eight to 12 months would be about 1%. If you live between 80 and 100 years old, you are spending 1% of your entire life learning how to do this properly. And that's, what, that's the advice I would give to you. I would give you the advice of committing to 8 to 12 months with a periodized plan with your macros and your training, following a very structured program. If you've never followed a structured program, that's one of the best things you could do for your physique. It's, it's going to take you to the next level by allowing you to see how a systematic approach works, going from phase to phase, going from fat loss to maintenance to lean gain to fat loss and going back and forth. If you can have somebody take over, structure that entire thing, and you can give your all for 8 to 12 months, I think you would see a dramatic change. Now, there's going to be a point in time where you're uncomfortable because the reality of losing that last little bit of fat and struggling with it, if you're in a position of being quote-unquote skinny fat and you have 5 to 10 pounds to lose, but no matter what you do, you can't lose it, most likely you need to build some muscle. Um, and and I, th I would have you consider that if you spent some time building muscle, that five to 10 pounds would be lost easier because your energy expenditure would go up. Your uh, body would get a break from dieting. So your, your maintenance calories would go up. Your metabolism would go up. Your thyroid would be better off. Everything in your body would feel better and function better because you gave it a break from dieting. You eliminated diet fatigue by increasing your metabolism and, and moving into a more sustainable plan for a while. Then you're going to build muscle. Building muscle is going to contribute to obviously more caloric expenditure. Not a lot, but just maintaining muscle period is going to burn more calories. It's a little bit of a metabolic boost. But add to that, this is the big thing with muscle. When you have more muscle mass, your energy expenditure goes up in the gym. So what you are doing in the gym increases by you having a stronger output. You're lifting heavier weights. You're performing more explosively. You're moving at a faster pace. Everything you do in the gym becomes stronger, better, faster, and more resilient. That's going to lead to more energy expenditure in the gym. It's also going to lead to better insulin sensitivity, better hormonal production, and the ability to eat more food. When you eat more food, you have a higher metabolism. So it's this, it's this non-going cycle of you have to accept that this is not a short-term fix. Now, you lost weight, right, in the beginning, I believe. I'm assuming you, you started your journey, you probably lost weight. That is a quick fix. But once you get past those newbie gains and the newbie losses, you have to take a step back, look at a periodized approach, and it's going to come from dedicating 1% of your life to live a better 99%. And that was my whole thing. Dedicate 1% of your life to live the rest of your 99% better. Take 8 to 12 months to periodize your approach. Half of that should be spent at or above maintenance while chasing muscle growth. You should accept gaining some weight. Not a lot, but a little bit. 
because it's going to put you in a position to where that five to 10 pounds you have to lose is not only going to become more easy to lose, but it's going to be less visible that you even need to lose it. Because if you have more muscle, you're tighter, you're firmer, you're, you're bigger in the right areas. Not even, bigger is not even right the, the right word, but you're building a physique. This is physique development. This is bodybuilding, essentially. Bodybuilding is just sculpting your body. So my best advice for you is just to commit. If you find a coach that is going to treat you the right way and teach you things properly, commit to them. Give them 1% of your life, which is 8 to 12 months, and spend that 8 to 12 months doing whatever they say. If, if you can commit to longer, commit to longer. The clients that I have that have the most sustainable results and stay uh, lean and muscular and have this whole thing down like the back of their hand, they were with me for a year or more every time. And they leave in some, so, such a better place. And I see them months down the road and they're still lean. They're still muscular. They're still trained. They love the process because they took the time to understand the process. So honestly, my best advice to you is that you do need to jump into a lean gain phase because it, the proof is in the pudding. I know I'm just ranting at this point, but if you've tried to lose that five to 10 pounds for a long time now, which is what you just said, that tells me that you have been working at it and working at it and working at it and it's not working. So why are you going to keep doing what's not working? Maybe the thing that would work best for you is the thing you haven't tried. And that's a lean gaining phase. So spend eight to 12 months, periodize your approach, spend some time gaining muscle, and then approach fat loss again after you've built some muscle and you've brought your body up to maintenance for a while because you're, you're going to set yourself up for a much better point. Much better position, I should say. All right, next question. Laura Tehran. Have you done a podcast on testosterone replacement and women? It seems to be the new medication for some 40-something females. I have lots of girlfriends with pellets. Any thoughts? I have not done a podcast on uh, testosterone replacement in general, um, specifically not for women. I think it's been brought up multiple times. Um, I don't – honestly, I'm, I'm not one that is like a big pusher on hormonal therapy, uh, hormone uh, – bleh. Hormone replacement therapy, HRT, TRT, any of those kind of things. Um, but I'm also not against it. I have many clients that are on testosterone replacement therapy. Um, I have a couple women clients who are on hormonal replacement therapy, different kinds. I, I don't think – I think that you have to take everything with in that world with precaution because as you start – taking replacement, you have to remember that your body slowly loses the ability or dampens its ability to produce on its own. Um, and that's what's really cool about a lot of the, I know my good friend Sam Miller just did a podcast with a guy, um, actually Matt McLeod's brother, uh, who works with uh, TaylorMade Compounds. And he, and this is actually the first time I ever heard of them or him or anything. Um, and they uh, do a lot of peptides. And there's some really cool peptides coming out that can help with some of the different hormones um, without create because all it's doing is injecting uh already re like already apparent amino acids into your body and what this is doing and i'm not a peptide expert so i'm not one to ask uh super detailed information but essentially what it's doing is recreating these in a higher dosage in a, in a better uh way for you and your body can essentially see the result without diminishing its own ability to create. So if, for example, there's one with like growth hormone and it can help you produce more growth hormone or you can inject yourself with these peptides that are essentially growth hormone peptides um, and you will see the effect on your ligaments, your tendons, your muscle mass, your fat loss 
but it doesn't diminish your body's ability to do it naturally. So if you stop taking them, it's not going to affect you negatively. Whereas if you take endogenous growth hormone as a steroid, it is going to diminish your body's ability to produce it naturally. And that becomes an issue. So hormonal replacement therapy is that. Um, it does cause your body to stop producing things naturally, which is something you have to take precaution with. But the reason I am not totally against it is because if you go into this knowing that your body's not producing enough anyway, to me, I'm like, is it worth taking this? Yes, for the rest of your life, but to have a higher quality of your life. Absolutely. In most cases, it absolutely is. Um, for guys, for example, I, I know more about men with testosterone replacement therapy just because it's more common. I've worked with more people that are on it. Um, if you don't take it, you're already in a position where your quality of life is low. Sex drive, memory, cognitive function, your ability to train hard, build muscle, burn fat. Um, it's already low because your testosterone is shot. And no matter how much uh, forskolin, ashwagandha, and all these different herbs and adaptogens you take and how much you sleep, it's not going to be high enough anymore because it's already diminished. It's, not, it's never going to be high enough naturally for you to feel better. Um, so why not take it? Why not have a higher quality of life? Um, now, I do think that there are people who are in the mid-range or average, and I think they're just being lazy. Um, for example, I took a testosterone test, and I noticed that mine was a little bit lower than I liked, and I changed my lifestyle. I started focusing more on sleep. I started wearing blue light blockers again. I did start taking ashwagandha and some different um, adaptogens. I started uh, being smarter about how hard I dieted when I wanted to get into photo shoot shape. It took longer to do it. I, I focused on balancing my intensity. I focused on creating balance in my life so I wasn't working too hard. When I did these things, my testosterone increased. Um, now, when I had surgery, that gave my testosterone a big hit. I think that's one thing people uh, fail to realize that happens with injuries. A lot of times there are some um, declines in different hormones because of injuries and um, lack of activity and, and stress on your body. Um, but that's a completely different topic. The reason I'm saying this is my thoughts on hormonal replacement in general, not necessarily uh, testosterone replacement for women, is that if whatever hormone you are trying to replace is already low enough to where your quality of life has diminished and it's not salvageable by natural remedies like dim or uh, ashwagandha or sleeping and things like that, I think it's worth it. I think why not? Um, I mean, the reason women would be supplementing with testosterone um, is typically when it's combined with estrogen, which is the more common female sex hormone that people know. Um, it just helps with overall growth and maintenance and just repair of any reproductive tissues in the female body, period, um, as well as bone mass, muscle mass, um, improves your sex drive. Um, I believe it is this, it's going to have the same effect just to a lesser degree um, as men with cognitive function, memory, stuff like that. Um, anything that testosterone does for women, it's probably going to do very similar to men. It's just in a greater degree with men because uh, men's bodies and physiologies rely on testosterone a little bit more. Um, so I don't have too many specific thoughts on the pellets or testosterone placement in general with women. Um, but if it's recommended from a doctor, to me, if, if it's, it's worth giving a shot naturally at first. And if that doesn't work, then I think replacement is a good bet. Because if your body's not producing enough for you to live a high quality of life as is, why continue to not live a high quality life? That's my opinion. And <laughs> throw this out there. Nothing should be taken to super physiological levels. Just because you're taking TRT doesn't mean you're going to look like Phil Heath from Mr. Olympia. Those people take a super astronomical amount of testosterone and growth hormone and insulin and many other steroids. Many men, there's, there's a lot of men who take TRT that you wouldn't even know take TRT. They take TRT to be at their normal re level. Um, and that's just making them healthy again, right? Phil Heath, Mr. Olympia takes a super physiological amount of testosterone and many other drugs to be as big as humanly possible. 
Um, and it's not even humanly. <laughs> I mean, if we really look at it, but, uh, but that's kind of besides the point. Anne Papino. I'm a 29 years old female weighing 131 pounds. Height is 5'5". I'm on a fat loss phase since September. Started around 1,500 calories per day. 145 protein, 140 carb, 40 fat, and now I'm around 1,300 calories per day. I do strength training four times per week and one time 45 minutes per week of cardio, runner spinning, so one cardio session for 45 minutes per week, an average of 10 to 15,000 steps per day. I only lost three pounds since the beginning from 134 pounds, and my weight is totally stuck right now. I feel tired and hungry and really disappointed by the lack of progress. I was wondering if I should just continue to reduce calories to my end goal of 125 pounds or should I reverse diet instead? If so, should I reverse from 1350 and up slowly or jump back to new maintenance? So a few things with this one first, and I think there's a lot of women who relate to this, is we got to remember too, like you're five foot five and you're 134 pounds. Uh, you're 131 pounds now. You're not very big in general. So we have to remember that one pound lost to you is like three pounds lost to a 200-pound individual. Um, it's going to show way more. So you have to rely less on the scale. So anybody listening to this who is at less than 150 pounds in general, you need to understand, unless you're five foot tall, uh, which you're five five, so you're not at, like abnormally short, you're 131 pounds. You're not huge. I can tell you that right now. Um, so my first tip to you is to remember you have to be tracking your measurements. Are you measuring like your navel and above and below? So like belly button, right above, right below, um, your chest, your arms, your legs, your calves, your butt. You should be measuring all these things on at least a monthly basis because I have plenty of clients who are around your size who will lose three pounds in that amount of time and be very frustrated. And then we look and they've also lost three inches and it's like, oh, shit. That's a lot because it's going to be distributed differently and it's going to come off differently when you are lighter and it's going to come off in lesser amounts from the scale perspective. But if your biofeedback and your measurements and your progress in the gym and your progress in the mirror are improving, that's what should lead your decisions in this journey. Now, um, you started this fat loss phase in September. So September, October, uh, November, December. So you're about four months in. Should you reverse from 315 up or slowly or just jump back to maintenance? I think anybody who is planning on cutting more should just jump back up to maintenance, almost always. So if you're like, hey, I want to be 125 pounds, that's my end goal. Um, I, of course, if I was working with you, I would probably ask why 125 pounds? What is that? What's the significance in that number to you? And then we can kind of analyze that because I think I see a lot of people who once were 125 pounds, then when we kind of like you get away from that, you start training, do whatever, you gain weight, and then we come to approach a fat loss phase again, you're like, I need to be back to 125 pounds, and I'm like, well, you know, you were 125 pounds a year ago, and you've gained four pounds of muscle in the last year, so like, if you were 129 pounds, you would probably look better than you did at 125, because you have four more pounds of muscle, and if we dropped you to 129 pounds, you'd be the same body fat percentage as you were at 125 pounds, just looking better, yet you're so focused on that number of the scale, it can completely skews what you should be chasing. So if you were my client, I'd probably go down a rabbit hole of asking you why, 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 and peeling the onion until I got a really good answer and tried to educate you on on what it is. Um, oh, I missed part of this question too. You said, should I reverse from 1350 or slowly go, uh, slowly or go up to new maintenance and then add up? Kind of confused. I'm going on vacation in March, so no rush for me. Um, back to like what I would do. 
I would probably go up to new maintenance if you're planning on cutting again. So I think anytime that you're going to plan on losing more weight, I think it's good to just give your body a break. And the problem with slowly reversing is yes, you might be able to maintain your 131 pounds really well, but to be completely fair, like most of the weight, like if you did the diet right, most of the weight you'll gain back isn't going to be fat. It's going to be muscle glycogen and water and just food in your stomach. Um, now, if you add 100 calories every couple weeks, you're going to gain weight so slowly that it's barely noticeable. But if you jump up to your maintenance in a week, you're going to gain that weight from water, muscle glycogen, and food bulk in your stomach right away. So you're going to notice it quicker on the scale. But at the, the grand scheme of three, four month process, it's the same thing. So what I would personally do is I would jump up to your new maintenance. Um, you started around 1,500 calories. You're at 1,300 now. I would just jump right up to 1,500 calories, see what happens, and then bring it up further than that. Your maintenance is likely a little bit higher than that, I would hope. So I would probably just jump right back up to 1,500. Then the next week, jump up to like 1,700 or whatever you think your new maintenance really is. Um, I would keep protein where it's at. You got about 145. I would bump fats up to maybe 50 at the most and then bring carbs up for the rest of it. Um, if you do that, your training is going to improve. Your neat is going to improve. Your muscle mass is going to improve. And I don't think you're going to gain much bad weight at all. Um, and then you give your body more of a break because the problem with reversing slow is if you take three months to get to your maintenance, that's three months that you were still in a deficit because until you're at maintenance, you're in a deficit. Even if the deficit is smaller, it's still a deficit and deficits are stressful on your body. So if you take three months to get there, you're dragging that deficit out for three more months, which is going to cause more physiological stress, which is going to make the next time you die even harder. Rather, if you jumped right up, took the beating of gaining a couple pounds of water weight, big deal, you're going to spend way less time in a deficit. You're going to spend more time at maintenance sooner, which means you're going to be able to get back to a diet sooner and you're going to have a more successful diet the next time around. And that's going to be easier for you to get back to that 125 pounds. So I would probably go right back to maintenance. I'm a big fan of, of taking a more aggressive approach out the gates and then being a little bit slower after that. Got to drink some coffee, get cotton mouth. Answering these questions. Alexandra Katz underscore. Hi, Cody. Big fan of the podcast. Thank you. I was wondering if you could give me any advice on reversing out of a diet when I am not able to track very accurately. I am in college, so the majority of my meals occur in the dining hall or at my sorority house. As a result, I don't really know how much food, uh, how most of my food is prepared. During my first semester, I lost a substantial amount of weight just from not being able to snack much between meals as well as increased neat from walking to class. For context, I'm 5'3", and I went from 114 pounds to 107 pounds in about three months without really trying to lose weight. I train about three, four times per week, and I also run about four times per week as I am training for a half marathon in February. I would like to increase my calorie intake but avoid a substantial amount of fat gain. How would you recommend doing this when I don't really have the ability to track? I've been loosely tracking to this point and probably average about 1,600 calories per day. So first of all, thank you so much uh, for being a fan and for listening to the podcast. Um, I would, I would keep loosely tracking. I think like we have to remember that estimations are better than nothing at all. So even if you can't measure everything and you have to eyeball more things and maybe you have to err on the side of adding oil, like maybe you add a tablespoon of oil to every day, like literally just, just in one of your random meals, just put a tablespoon of oil. That's going to add another, what, what is that? 15, 16 grams of fat which is a good amount, but that's assuming every meal in your cafeteria is cooked in oil, which it probably is. You err on the side of that. 
right? And in and then what I would do is have a like a a fluctuating intake because I think that you're going to notice that when you estimate things, you're naturally going to be intaking more food on certain days than not. Um, because if you're guessing and maybe you track a little, you track this much, but you actually ate a little bit more, or there was some hidden ingredients that you didn't, weren't aware of. And it adds to your calorie count. There's going to be days where that happens and you intake more than you realize. And because of that, you're not going to be as hungry. I mean, calories are satiating, right? So you're going to be less hungry the next day. And therefore you can err on the side of being a little bit lower. If you wake up and you're intuitive and you're being self-aware about your hunger cues, you can wake up the next day and say, I feel a little bit more full than normal. I feel satiated. I feel energetic. I feel like I have enough food. I don't need to eat a ton. So maybe you have a fluctuating model where, um, I think you said, Oh, you didn't tell me how many calories you're taking in. Oh yeah. Um, 1600 calories a day. Maybe you, you go, I'm going to consume between 1700 and 1900 and you estimate everything you eat. It's not going to be perfect and it's going to fluctuate. Some days you'll be towards 17. Some days you'll be towards 19 and that's fine. And some days you're going to burn more calories because you run, because you walk more, because whatever it may be. Some days you train and run. Those are the days you lean towards 1900 and you just kind of have this like intuitive bell curve that you kind of stay within not really a bell curve more of like a scale that you stay stay within and you some days are lower some days are higher after a couple of weeks if you haven't gained any bad weight bump that up to 1800 to 2000 and you stay within that um and that's what i would do if you're trying to reverse it's just a matter of just bumping up a little bit and having these ranges and you're just going to have to you're going to have to estimate as best as you can and you're going to have to err on the side of more fat that's always the best way to go when we're eating out when we're estimating or anything because Almost everything's cooked in some kind of oil. Um, so err on the side of having an extra tablespoon of fat in your day. And then, um, yeah, just have that scale that you kind of bounce between depending on how you feel that day and learn how to be a little bit more intuitive. These are the times where tracking is a helpful tool, but more than anything, you have to use your own self-awareness to, to kind of guide you down this path. Johanna Hernandez. Hey, Cody. It's me again. <laughs> I love that. Loving your podcast and content, wishing you all the best. Obviously, she's asked me many questions. Uh, my question today is how are some people, particularly women, able to eat 3,000 calories and maintain a lean physique? My guess is because they have a lot of muscle in their workout routine, but how much muscle do you need to finally be able to eat that much? I want to get to that point, laugh aloud. As someone who can eat a lot and loves food. Right now, according to the in-body scale, I'm 18% body fat and 62.5 pounds of skeletal muscle mass. My BMR is 1490. I do like what I see, but I want my muscles to show more, aka get leaner. My goal is to get leaner and more def more definition, so I started cutting. Lost 8 pounds and 8 at maintenance and gained weight, but most of it was muscle. However, I still feel heavy and not lean enough, so I don't think I can eat that many more calories just yet or else I'll just gain body fat. I do CrossFit four to five times a week and bodybuilding three times a week, so how can I eat that much? How are some girls able to eat that much? Would you really appreciate the answer as this has been on my mind for a really long time? How do I attack this? Um, this is hard to say. Um, first and foremost, we have to remember that, okay, like there's a few things to, to kind of throw out there before we dive into this. Number one, embodies are not that accurate, so take those with a grain of salt. Um, check out weightology.net, or I even wrote an article kind of summarizing his thoughts because he wrote like six different articles on all the different body fat measurements, and I link it in my article if you want more in-depth information, but I kind of summarize each uh, body fat scanner so you can see how inaccurate they actually are. Um, I'm not a huge fan of them. If you're going to do one, DEXA is probably the best one to go with. Um, I mean, obviously MRI or ultrasound are great, but 
how many people have access to an ultrasound. So um, even DEXAs are hard to get access to. So I would say like number one, remember that in-bodies aren't that accurate. So basing your BMR off of an in-body and basing like your absolute percentage and everything, take it with a grain of salt. Be more focused on your performance and what you see in the mirror and just your general calorie intake. Um, the second thing I would say is you probably – your BMR is 1490, you said. I would be increasing the shit out of that if you're doing four to five times a week of CrossFit and three times a week of bodybuilding. Um, that's seven to eight sessions per week. That's quite a bit. Um, so I don't know exactly what that means, but you should be intaking quite a bit of calories. Um, my guess is if you're not able to right now, uh, you you just need a proper reverse diet, uh, recovery diet because – like. Metabolically and hormonally, you should be able to consume more calories than what you probably are. But again, I don't know how many calories you're consuming. You could be consuming three thousand for all I care, or if all I know. I mean, um, so h- how do people get to this point? I have to say, like first and foremost, genetics play a big role. There's a lot of individuals who are just genetic freaks, and they can just eat and they just don't gain weight and there's just never going to be a way for us to explain it besides their genetics are great um if you read the hungry brain you can kind of dive into it a little bit some people's like leptin receptors and, and the way their hypothalamus works is actually programmed a little bit differently so neurologically they are wired to have more adaptive metabolisms and that's kind of my next point they're wired to have these adaptive metabolisms to where when they consume a lot of calories their body immediately burns more so their body's system just works like a machine and these people we see who can just eat and eat and eat and they never seem to gain weight they don't even realize this it's it's a natural mechanism that just occurs in their body subconsciously but when they eat more food all systems fire and work more effectively more efficiently and and at a higher rate so they basically blink more walk more talk more move faster burn more during their training take more steps per day stand more than they sit Everything, they're, everything speeds up and everything burns more calories because they're taking in more calories. So their natural ability to take in and burn more because they're taking in more increases. So a lot of people are just genetically gifted in the sense that their their metabolism are highly adaptive in the positive way. Um, that being said, many of those people you'll notice too, like when they cut calories, they don't just, you know, if, if they can crank their calories up to 3,500 and not gain weight, they don't just drop to 3,300 and lose weight. They usually have to drop calories pretty low still too. Uh, but when it comes to maintaining weight, their bodies are built to do it. So for some people, that's that's usually the cause. Um, you asked about muscle mass, and I would say muscle has an effect, but the studies showing how much calories muscle actually burns day to day is actually pretty low. So for a lot of people who have a lot of muscle mass, yes, they burn more calories than the person who doesn't have much muscle mass. However, it's not as much as you would think. So I, I wouldn't bet on the fact that like, oh, if I just build a ton of muscle, I'm going to burn way more calories because that's not the case. Um, typically, you burn very little. Um, it, it's not as much as you would actually think. So don't bet on that as your way of uh, getting leaner or being able to eat more calories is what I'm getting at. Um, how can I eat that much? How are some girls able to eat that much? Genetics, we can't change. Um, muscle mass will have an effect and output in the gym will have an effect. Um, some people believe you can train your metabolism. I would say you can't. Um, I, I think the metabolism is a has, a has a range that it works in. It has kind of like a thermostat, but you can't really train it to go outside of that. Your thermostat has a limit that you can bring it up to. And the, the goal of reverse dieting should basically just be to bring it up to that limit. Now, your limit for how many calories you can consume 
and still maintain weight might be 2,700 calories, let's say. And that's pretty damn high. And that might be your ceiling. And that's good. And you do have to approach that methodically. You do have to approach that in a specific way to, to bring your calories up to that point without gaining fat. You do have to properly program that. You have to manage stress properly. You have to balance intensities properly. And you do have to plug your training in in a specific way. Um, but some people who are the exact same weight, height, and have, do the exact same training as you, their threshold for their thermostat might be 3,500. It's genetics. And it's just their ability and their metabolism is just that adaptive and their thermostat just has a wider range. And there might be people that their limit is 2,200. So you got 500 calories on them. Um, so it, it's really, really dependent on the person. We can't really say, and I've actually dug into this a lot. You said like it's been on your mind for a long time. You know, you can read things like Fat Loss Forever talks a little bit about the metabolic differences between people. You can read The Hungry Brain, which talks about the physiological um, and the psychological things that happen that cause us to eat more and how pe some people can handle that uh, food and, and what this adaptive thermogenesis process looks like uh, in the positive and negative way. So those are good resources for you. Um, but it's been on my mind a long time too because I get the question all the time and I'm always curious about this. But a lot of it is genetics and a lot of it is just the the kind of this thermostat idea of how people's leptin and ghrelin and metabolisms are working and what the ranges are for their individual metabolic rate and metabolism and, and metabolic capacity really, how much they, food they can handle. So um, I can't give you an exact answer. Um, you can train hard. You can build muscle. Both of those things will help. Um, be able to consume more calories without a doubt because you're expending more from both of those things. Uh, but it's just one of those things where you're burning more to be able to take in more, you know, um, other than that, like to, to increase your ceiling, um, it's, it's kind of like past the lifestyle adherable limit where like how much can you really train to increase your calories? Um, it's a genetic factor. Larma Jed, Cody, love your podcast. I have a question for your next Q and A. My work, I should probably just delete that part. <laughs> I always like copy and paste them in and I forget to leave out like, hey, Cody, but um, I like hearing from you guys like that. It's fun. My work is doing a challenge for the employees to see who can lose the most body fat percentage in an eight-week period. We use we are using an in-body scanner to track our body fat percentage. Funny, I just talked about that. There's a $1,000 prize. Dope. And only about 20 of us – and only about 20 of us. So I have a fair chance of winning. Sorry, I almost read that wrong. Any advice on where my macros should be? I am 23 years old and I weigh about 123 pounds. I also do a fair amount of cardio. Should I limit that or focus more on certain energy systems, anaerobic versus aerobic? Any advice would be awesome. Thanks so much. So this, I, I if I was working with you through this, um, first and foremost, I can't give you macro advice over, the, over a podcast because I don't know where you're currently at. Um, I would say like if you really want to make the most out of this, hire somebody to help you, but I also don't, like I said, I don't, I've worked with people who have hired me to get them through work challenges like this. And the first thing I do is say, track your macros for the next few days. I need to see where you're at. Because if I say like, hey, we're going to fucking, it's only eight weeks and it's a thousand dollar prize. We're just going to go at this pretty aggressively. Um, let's get after it. So keep doing your cardio, add four days a week of strength training with a high intensity finisher on each. So now you're doing four days of low intensity cardio four days of lifting with a high intensity finish on each day. And we're going to do like 10 times your body weight with a two day refeed every two weeks. Like that's a good approach. 10 times your body weight is low. It's only 1,230 calories. So 1,230 calories, but that's good. That's an aggressive approach. That's going to create weight loss and you're doing enough energy expenditure work. It's eight weeks. We're going to take two day refeeds to kind of help like maintain hormones along the way. It's probably going to work pretty well. 
But the problem with this is, is if you're consuming 2,000 calories right now on average, why on God's earth would I drop you to 2,300? Because that leaves us no room to improve, right? So rather, what I would probably say is like, hey, drop to 1,700. We're going to create a 300-calorie deficit, and we're going to increase your protein more. Protein's more thermogenic. It's more satiating. And if we fill majority of your calories with protein, you're going to store less body fat, period. Um, and then we'll go from there. So once you plateau, we have room to pull. Now we're going to pull 100 calories more. Now we're going to pull 100 calories more. So by the time eight weeks hits, you finish the diet at 1,400, and you you won, right? So it's hard for me to say. Um, I would say first, like track your diet right now, see where you're at. Um, if you were eating less than 120 grams of protein, the first thing I would do is take your current intake. I would drop calories by 5% um, if you're eating enough protein. If you're not eating enough protein, like let's say right now you're only eating 80 grams of protein, I would leave your calories right where they're at after you track for a few days, find out what your true maintenance is, what it currently is, then bump your protein up to about 140 so you're eating more than enough protein um, and keep your calories where they're at. So you're eating at quote-unquote maintenance technically, but from that point, we bring up protein enough to where you're probably going to see some pretty good body composition changes without actually dropping into a deficit whatsoever. And then I would just ride it out. Four days a week strength training, get your knee up. So just instead of like daily cardio, I would just set a high step count. So if you're stepping 8,000 steps a day, set it for like 14,000 a day, like pretty cranked up. It's an eight-week period. So you're better off taking things pretty aggressively and trying to get after it. And you're young, um, and I don't, I doubt you have too, too bad of, uh, of a uh, metabolic rate or anything like that. I, I got to imagine you haven't done too much work on your body. But the thing I would say too is you're only 123 pounds who else is competing, right? Like if somebody's 200 pounds and have has way more weight to lose, they're going to have a, a way easier time. Uh, but it also depends on, on how they're judging you. So there's a lot of ways I would go about this, but to say like exactly what your macros would be, I can't say because I, I don't know what your current macros are. Most likely what I would do is track where you're at. If you're already eating enough protein, create a 5 to 10% deficit to start, see how your body responds. If it doesn't respond well, then you're probably going to need to make a, a bigger uh, deficit. Some people respond to anything. Some people, it takes you know, 10, 15, 20% deficits just to get any type of response. Um, if you're eating at maintenance and your, your protein is super low, I would just keep your calories where they are, bring protein up, which is going to cause fat or carbs to come down. Probably fat would be best. Um, and then ride it out. That's probably how I would go uh, with the podcast. <laughs> Not the podcast, how I would go with your uh, diet. Uh, for the competition. All right, guys. So that is the last question we're going to answer today. I'm running out of time. Um, and that was quite a bit of questions and we still have quite a few more. Um, so remember a couple quick shout outs. There is a Q and a box in the show notes. So you can click that. You can fill out the form, ask me any question. Shout out to all the people who asked these questions, Larma Jed, Johanna, uh, Alex, uh, Alexandra and Laura, Buffy, Michelle, Fit and Clean Mama. Shout out to you guys for taking advantage of the Q&As. I really love answering these questions. I love how detailed they are. Guys, this is the best way for you guys to get help. What I do in this podcast is specifically to, it, it's really just an extension of my coaching. Like I do this so that I can A, give my clients more information. A lot of people don't realize, but that's one of my, my biggest goals with this podcast is to give my current clients a, a resource where they can learn more and more about what we're doing inside of our coaching so they can sustain the results better. But number two, it's so that you, the individual who isn't coaching with me, can experience coaching in, in a free form, in an easy digestible form, and get access to me to ask me questions. So please take advantage of these, ask me questions, and let me help you more because everything I do inside this business is truly just to help more people. I'm, I'm literally, I said this the other day to somebody in a conversation. I'm literally obsessed with coaching. It's kind of ridiculous 
but it's there's nothing I love doing more. So if you have questions for me, please ask. Um, this is what I love doing, and there's nothing more important to me than helping people with their health, with their physiques, and with their strength. And I want to help you do that. So make sure you fill out that form. Make sure you're constantly listening to the podcast. Make sure you're subscribed if you're not. And make sure you're sharing this with a friend. If you know somebody who needs help with their physique, the new year is upon us. Please, please, please share this podcast. Send them a text. Send them an email. Take a screenshot. Send them it in some way, shape, or form so we can build this podcast in 2020 together. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, Head over to boomboomperformance.com slash sign dash up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at cody at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here and I'll see you next time.